to the community safari, where each home is an exciting adventure. Here's our first stop. This is Jenna. She's a single mom with three boys. She hardly has time for herself. Simple tasks like gathering food for her offspring is quite stressful. This aggressive behavior between the boys is often a result of the lack of a male role model in their lives. Let's withdraw from this situation and let the mother bear tend to her cubs. Okay, now for some excitement and drama. This is Rick and Catherine. They've been married for six years. No, 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 no! No banging on the glass and keep your hands in the vehicle at all times. These can be very aggressive animals. And as with any aggressive animal, do not look them in the eye. Oh no, someone's looked him in the eye. Look away, look this? away. Remember to keep calm. Uh, do not look directly in the eye. Me? Oh, not nice. Like yeah, take a like picture, it'll last longer. Well, yeah, it looks like our time here is done. Alrighty, let's keep moving forward, folks. On the left is Greg. He is leaving for his third job interview this week. As you can see, the female is grooming the male for the job hunt. Greg still has his family and his dignity. Oh, never mind. There goes that one. Not off to a great start, but let's hope that job hunt goes better. Wish there was something we could do to help him. Well, let's keep moving. This is one of the most popular stops and the most requested as well. This is Mimi. She is one of the senior adults in our kingdom also known as a silver top. Do you think we should help her? She has recently been widowed as her husband passed away this last summer. Simple tasks like lawn care and taking out the trash have become quite difficult for her. Oh, she fell! Okay, ladies and gentlemen, as you can see, she's, she's trapped, it looks like. I need you to calmly get back in your seats. We need to let nature run its course and calmly remove ourselves. Let's head back to the church, shall we? It's cold. And I need to mow my grass. You know, the great thing about going back to the church is, you know you're safe. So remember, folks, it's a wild and dangerous place in your community. So be grateful and thankful you have the safety of your own church. Ouch. Ouch. There's needs all around us. Let's not miss out on our opportunities. Christian life is not a safari where we look out at the unbelieving world and shake our heads and wrap our hands around us four and no more and let's just have our nice little thing going on. No, we're saved for a purpose. Amen? Hallelujah. Back to the sermon. Last Sunday we spoke on what have I been entrusted with. And in the earthly realm we've been entrusted with our lives, our relationships, our abilities, our resources, our investments, opportunities to prosper, etc. This is the last of six teachings on the subject of trust. <clears throat> we learn that God wants to trust us, and in so doing, He's made us His trustees of His blessings in our lives so that we could enjoy His blessings, but also so that we could be a blessing with them. He's also blessed us with heavenly blessings, an earthly relationship with Him, His spiritual gifts, uh, the way we're motivated is what this uh, thing is about. The gifts of the Spirit are as the Holy Spirit wills, but yet He's wired us each differently to serve in various capacities in His body. He's given us His Word, His Church, your brothers and sisters, His grace that enables you to overcome, amen, and His callings. Any one of those things is a series by itself. 
He's also given us opportunities to serve his kingdom purposes with those things that are above, that he's given us to enjoy here on earth that we have to look forward to in heaven, but we're blessed with them here on earth with opportunities to serve, just like that safari went out into the community and saw all those opportunities to serve and just took pictures and uh, talked about how safe it was back at their church house. Sorry that it had to be a Baptist church. I didn't make the video. You know why the Baptists get made fun of or picked on so much? Is there's so many of them. <laughs> All right. Opportunities to serve. God blesses us with opportunities. The word opportunity is a, means a time favorable for a purpose. An opportunity is a suitable time uh, combined with favorable circumstances through which you can do something to make a difference. Uh, a wise man said, a wise man will make more opportunities than he finds. Uh, we're not just to roll through life and if something pops up in front of us, uh, we do something, but we're actually to go look for opportunities to serve. Uh, neglect no opportunity for doing good. I'm not sure. I think Mark Twain may have said that. So we've attempted to, in, to answer the question, what have I been entrusted with? Uh, we also looked at the four T's of kingdom trustees. I know it's cheesy, but it's real cheese. He's blessed us with time. We all get 86,400 seconds every day to enjoy God, to enjoy life, and to prosper and to serve our fellow man. If you don't keep a calendar, you need to keep one because your life is passing you on by. If you don't wear a watch, you need to wear one. Prosperous people wear watches. It's just, a, it's just a fact. They just do. And with um, cell phones, we all technically have watches if we have a cell phone. Time is very important. It's a gift that God gives to us all. Like a communist, we all get the same every day from God. He's blessed us with talent, uh, abilities, spiritual and natural abilities, uh, abilities that we can develop for the benefit of ourselves and our families and our fellow man. He's blessed us with treasure. Uh, we receive treasure through hard work, through inheritance, through the result of investments, and even, sometimes out of the norm, he can bless us with a miracle. And uh, these aren't just for us, for ourselves. A certain amount of our treasure is our bread, but another amount of our treasure is our seed to bless others. And he's blessed us with opportunities real opportunities to serve. Today we're going to talk about the trust test. If you could look with me at, have you found Mark chapter 10 yet? Verse 17, talking about Jesus. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. And we understand that Jesus is divine, but at the time he um, liked to kind of conceal that. And he was dealing with a lot of hypocrites, people that would come forward and give him these big flowery introductions and call him rabbi, call him this, call him that. Meanwhile, they hated his guts. And so he said, why are you honoring me like this? There's none good but God. Verse 19, 
You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. We all know what that is. Do not murder. We all know what that is. Do not steal. We know what that is. Do not bear false witness. Tell your neighbor, don't lie. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Uh, I'd like to go back to one that maybe you haven't thought about much lately. Do not defraud. When you defraud someone, you, you do something, either intentionally or unintentionally, to, to um, create an expectation in the heart of someone else. Uh, if you're in sales, if you oversell the product and exaggerate, and that person buys from you, they're going to be disappointed and realize they were defrauded. Who's been defrauded by a salesman? Uh, if you flirt with someone to get a sale or to get attention or just to be, just being me, you, if you flirt with someone, you're, you're doing something that could create a desire in the, in the heart of someone else that cannot be fulfilled righteously. Unless you're married, obviously you can flirt with your, with your spouse. Uh, so defrauding deals with, with caring for people and their feelings. And it deals with everything from dressing modestly to speaking the truth always. Verse 20. So the, this guy says to Jesus, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, this story is also related in, I think, in Luke, where he is called the rich young ruler. He went away sorrowful. He had it down when it came to to not sinning sins of commission. But when it came to sins of omission, he was lacking. Jesus pointed it out. One thing you lack. And then he gave him a tremendous opportunity. Come, follow me. What an invitation. But he was sad at the word, went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I dare say his possessions had him. Then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. Notice he transitioned from having riches to trusting in riches. Then he said, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? Verse 27, Jesus looked at them and said, with men, is it, with men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. He may not have been rich as this 
young guy, but he was not a homeless man when Jesus found him. He had a fishing business. In fact, he left behind a huge catch of fish, maybe for his family to pay bills with in his absence. I'm not sure. Verse 29, Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospel's who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. We pray. Lord Jesus, help us to hear what you're saying to us today in Jesus' name. Lord, may we become greater God-trusters than ever before. Amen. Amen. This young man had it going on. He was rich. He had great possessions. He was a ruler. He had authority. He was young. And he was moral. Ladies, he was husband material. But his morals only included the sins of commission, not the sins of omission. He didn't care for his fellow man. Jesus pointed that out. But he still had it going on. He had the blessing of meeting in the flesh the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Who gave him a tremendous opportunity to follow him. Um, In other places, Jesus would preach. And he would tell people to repent, turn from their sin, and follow him. Here he didn't tell this young man to repent. But yet he told the young man to get rid of what he had been trusting in and follow him. Take care of the poor. He said, you have no treasure in heaven. Uh, You know, hearses don't pull U-Hauls. You don't take it with you, but you send it on ahead when you bless the poor. That's what the Bible says. So he had a tremendous opportunity, and he missed it. What opportunity has the Lord laid out before us that he's called us to do? Something that may be hard, something that maybe your kinfolks may not understand. Jesus Jesus offered him three things. Eternal life, a chance to follow him, to see his miraculous ministry, and a treasure in heaven. And he wouldn't do it. In dealing with his disciples, they, you know, Peter said, hey, we've left everything and followed you. He said, you're going to get a hundredfold blessing in this life with persecution and in the world to come. Houses and lands, everything that you lost, you'll gain more. The hundredfold return has been a promise that has been abused on Christian television. For $20, you can get a hundredfold return and all that stuff. The hundredfold return, I believe, according to the principles of, of Jesus, are for those who've given it all. All for him. And you'll be blessed in this life and in the world to come. If you give $20 in an offering and you get 2000 for it, hallelujah, praise the Lord. It's not enough, though, to build a doctrine on. Amen? 
It's a sellout. You can buy off God for 20 bucks when he wants us to give it all. Preacher, are you saying we need to give our last dollar? No, we need to give it all. Starting with our first. What is God calling you to do that's, that's hard? In my own life, I've never been called to give everything I had. But I was called a couple times to take jobs I didn't have making less. One was to uh, work. I had a job I loved, making signs. Every day was different. A sign company. Creating the signs and installing the signs, it was just awesome. It involved everything from arc welding to going way up high and welding up there to working with plastic and glass. Uh, didn't work with neon. Anyway, I loved that job. And the Lord called us to leave that job, confirmed it with my wife, and go work for a church for half what I was making. But, you know, there was such a joy in our hearts. We knew it was the Lord, and he blessed us. He took care of us. It was awesome. Uh, When this church started, it was time for us to to move here, and then it was time for us to step into full-time. We took a cut in pay, but nothing as drastic as that first time. Uh, But there was a joy in it because we knew God was in it. This young man had such a joy facing him. If he would just trust Jesus enough to allow him to direct his life. I did hear a story of a rich young ruler in Europe named Count, he was of royalty, Count Zinzendorf. And he left it all to follow Jesus. Have you heard of the Moravians? He started the Moravians. They were a tremendous influence in the life of John Wesley and revival around the world. The Moravians were so radical, they would sell themselves into slavery to get into other countries where they they could be a witness for him. Uh, He was instrumental in starting a prayer meeting that lasted a hundred years. And this was without electronics and cool videos and, and neat uh, sound systems to help a prayer meeting to go along. This was just plain old acoustic prayer that went on for over a hundred years. Don't you know he received a hundredfold in this life and the one to come? We'll meet him one day, Count Zinzendorf. Google him. I don't know how to spell it. I think it's Z-I-N-Z-E-N-D-O-R-F, something like that. Google him and learn from his example. What is the Lord calling you to do that maybe you're shying away from because of the cost? Trust me, um, the cost is higher if you don't take it. This young man lived during the days of the Roman Empire. I mean, he didn't have that, that much security. The Romans could have come in and snatched it all from him. Maybe he was destroyed in 70 A.D. when they came in and destroyed Jerusalem. I don't know but he missed a tremendous opportunity for joy in his life. A.W. Tozer said this, the man of pseudo-faith, that is, faith that's not genuine, the man of pseudo-faith will fight for his verbal creed, that is, he'll fight for what he says he believes, but refuses to allow himself to get into any predicament where his future must depend upon that creed, or depend upon what he believes to be true. 
He always provides himself with secondary ways of escape so he, have a, so he will have a way out if the roof caves in. What we need very badly these days is a company of Christians who are prepared to trust God as completely now as they know they must do at the last day. You know, on Judgment Day, we've got to put our total trust in Jesus. You living in fear of your 401k becoming a 102b? Put your trust in Jesus. I know having secondary plans is wisdom, but I, I have a feeling and a knowing in my heart from my own walk and what I see in the heroes of the Bible and other people that we would respect, there are times God will call you when there is no plan B. Because you know what? God has no plan B. You and I are his plan A to do his will in the earth. You are it. The Bible is filled with stories of God-trusters whose faith was tested by God, beginning with those who had to trust him when they couldn't trust anybody else. Think of Noah building this huge boat away from water. It took him 100 years to get the things built. If you've ever heard Bill Cosby's rendition of this story, it is amazing. Abraham changed my name from Abram to Abraham because I'm going to have many kids. Old man, 100 years old, how many you got? I don't have any. I had to trust God. And then when he got a son, God, God tested him by saying, hey, go off that boy up on a mountain as a sacrifice to me just tested his identity to the max. And Joseph, talk about a guy that, in some, in some instances, Joseph had to trust God because he didn't have any choice. But aren't you glad he did trust God? It became a way of saving his family. Moses had to trust God. Couldn't trust in people. Joshua had to trust God. He took over from Moses, leading those former slaves well, the descendants of the former slaves, because they all died except for him and Caleb, into the promised land. And all those people they were leading knew was just wandering. They are just a bunch of nomads. He had to lead a bunch of nomads in to take a land. And he couldn't use, he couldn't use Mo, uh, Moses' rod and do Moses' methods. And yet God used him mightily. He had to trust God. Gideon, talk about a guy having to trust God and do things in very unconventional ways. David was a God-truster. Had to trust the Lord. Met a giant with a slingshot. I had the opportunity of, of uh, hearing Miles Monroe preach recently. And he talked about how we, our trust and our faith needs to be tested. Because the tests are what makes us. And he said before there was a Goliath, David was just a kid throwing rocks. For there was this test that you're facing, you were just a Texan. Well, I know that's a good thing, but still. The New Testament continues with heroes who had to trust God. John the Baptist, this guy lived on bugs and honey. 
I know there's preachers that say, no, he didn't eat bugs. There's this tree in the Holy Land called locusts, and there's fruits that they call locusts. I went there. I never saw that tree. And I read through the Pentateuch the other day, and I saw a list of bugs that are permissible for eating. I had to preach with such fearlessness. It wound up getting him killed. When he was in prison, he was, his trust was still tested. He sent word to Jesus, Are you, you're the guy I prepared the way for. Are you really the Messiah? Still having to trust. Jesus Christ, talk about a God truster. He entrusted himself, emptied himself of his deity, chose not to live as God, came to live as a man, totally trusting his Father. Even asking, Father, is there another way? But not my will, your will be done. Peter learned to trust God. He couldn't trust himself. Or when trusting himself, did nothing but make a mess. Paul was a man who learned to trust God. And when you hear the name Peter and Paul, what other name comes to mind? Yes, Mary. Aren't you glad she trusted God? She told that angel, Gabriel, be it unto me according to your word. She didn't know how Joseph was going to react. She didn't know how her family was going to react. She didn't know that one day, 2,000 years later, we would be celebrating the awesome act of faith that she did by submitting herself to the will of God and bringing forth a child into the world as a virgin to be mocked by her community. She had to trust God. Is that not awesome? And then to trust Him. She literally had to go through what Abraham just took the steps in going through, allowing her son to be offered upon that rock that was within eyesight where Abraham had done his thing. God trusters. The early church, man, the the world was not worthy of these people. Early believers, there was none of them that lacked because they were all totally sold out to the purpose of Jesus. Are there any God-trusters in the house? There's five things, final, to wrap this series up that involve trusting God. We're going to trust God. We need to take an inventory. Let's all say that together. Take an inventory. David said in Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him and He shall direct your paths. Am I trusting God? That's a question that, that begins with you and ends with God. and begins with God and ends with you. It's between you and Him. Are you, are you a God truster? Take an inventory. Search your heart. Face the truth. Recognize your source. Our source for everything is God. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. He is the sustainer of the universe. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? 
it was a ridiculous statement because a cubit was from your elbow to your fingertip. A worrying, can you add 18 inches to your height? No, or 16, whatever that measurement is. Verse 31, therefore do not worry, saying, what should we eat, what should we drink, what should we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. We're going to trust God. We've got to recognize he is our source. We're going to trust God. We need to understand his principles. First principle with God is to put him first. Proverbs 3, verse 9 and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the firstfruits of all your increase. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. It's not trusting him with your last dollar. It's trusting him with your first one. (laughs) Putting him first, the principle of being first. Uh, Paul, in speaking of collections to the church in Corinth, chapter 16, verse 2, says, On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay aside storing up as he may prosper. Lay aside your offering on the first day of the week. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So there's a principle of being first, the first principle. There's a proportionate principle. The more we trust God, the more he entrusts to us. It deals with everything from forgiving those that need to be forgiven, God forgives us, to even giving of ourselves to others, giving of ourselves to him. Jesus said in Luke 6, 38, Give and it shall be given to you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, in our culture, that verse may be kind of strange, but I've actually seen it in operation in Africa where dirt poor people will go to the market to buy rice, and they sell rice in a normal-sized can. What's, well, how many ounces are a normal can? Is it 14 ounces? 16 ounce? It's a normal 16 ounce can. They sell rice with 16 ounce cans. So this is rice that's already been shelled and uh, the women wear these large wraps around them and they carry their rice home in their lap or in their skirt. And the person measuring out the rice will dip the cup into the rice container, get it full and then shake it. And the rice will settle down and they'll do it again two or three times more, shake it And then they'll heap some on top and press it down. And then they'll pour it into her skirt. They'll do that again and again, depending on how many cups she's bought. Read this again. Give and it shall be given to you good measure. Press down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom or into your lap. For with the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Somebody said, we determine the shovel God uses when he blesses us by the shovel we use to bless others. There's also the attitude principle. Proportionate principle, God responds to us. The attitude principle involves God loves our attitude in our doing his will. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it may be ready as a matter of generosity and not as a grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. There's that proportionate thing again. Verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 9, So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, 
not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And he is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always have an all-sufficiency and all things may have an abundance for every good work. Understand its principles of putting him first and of, of understanding he blesses us as we bless others. S, surrender everything to God. Step into your stewardship and trust yourself into your trusteeship to him who's entrusted everything to you and I. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Every year the world, especially this part of the world, is reminded that God did that. It's a time of gift giving and celebrating that fact. If he did that for us, he'll surely bless us if we do that for others. Amen? And T, test God's promises to you. Take an inventory, recognize your source, understand God's principles, surrender everything to God. Here's my final point for today. Test God's promises to you. Look at this promise. Malachi 3.10, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. The American Standard Version of the King James Version says this, the words that I have underlined there, prove me now herewith. Prove me by tithing. I believe you can prove the existence of God by tithing and prospering thereafter. The Webster Version says, prove me now with this. The literal translation says, test me now with this. This is the one place in the Bible where God says, test me. The complete Jewish Bible says, put me to the test. God's word translation says, test me in this way. Test me. Try me. Test me. In your bulletin today, there's a little card called the trust test. And on that card are are these words. If you didn't get a bulletin, be sure and get one before you leave. Tithing is not an issue of money. It is an issue of trusting. God knows that a difficult area for us to learn to trust him in is with our finances. Therefore, he said to try him by tithing. Try him by giving a tenth of his blessing back to him. Now, look at what he said in Malachi 3.10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven. Now, you may be here and you may believe that tithing's not in the New Testament. I tackled that belief, and it's on a CD. You can get it if you'd like. Just write tithing CD uh, out there, and we'll have it available for you. And you can have that one for free. They're, they're really free anyway. You can pay a dollar if you want, but for any of them. But just, I'd, I'd love to make that available to you. But even better than that, I put it in a brochure. Is tithing a New Testament practice? And it's out on the information table. Be sure and pick that up before you go and really check your beliefs out. You know, there's a lot of things that we hear that we just accept because it sounds good. You know, just because something's, something sounds good doesn't mean it's a true, right? So just give me a few minutes of your time and take that brochure home and read it and settle that in your heart. For those of you that, that see it in the New Testament, you see the places where Jesus said to do it, 
and you see how it started before the law, just like prayer started before the law, just like worship started before the law. And uh, these things are still in existence today. Repentance started before the law. And yet these things were part of the law that Jesus fulfilled, yet they continued to exist after the law. Same thing is true of tithing. Uh, Abraham tithed, and Jacob said he was going to tithe, and other people tithed before the law. Anyway, it was included in the law, just like prayer is and worship is and singing and things that we continue to enjoy even in the New Testament age. Trust test. The other side of the trust test card says these words. Knowing that trust is the single most important factor in any relationship and that God wants us to trust him, <coughs> I believe what he said in Malachi 3.10, which, which reads, Try me now in this. By faith, <coughs> I take this. by faith, I take this step of trust by committing to faithfully give the first 10% of my income to the Lord through Generations Church, for supporting the ministries of this storehouse and our community. And there's two boxes underneath that or two circles where you could check. I will begin tithing. By faith, I'm going to step out and do it. God helps me, I'm going to step out and do it. Or I will continue tithing. And if you don't mind uh, doing one of two things with that card, either keeping it in your Bible to remind yourself or putting it in the tithe boxes in the back. This is a statement to Lord. Lord, I'm committing myself to you. Amen. This is not the storehouse of the Lord in Granbury, but it's one of his storehouses. One of them. Um, all the churches here that I know of are doing wonderful things to serve their own bodies as well as to serve the community. If you've ever been uh, active in any of the benevolent agencies in this town, the churches of Granbury are the life of this community. Uh, yesterday I was blessed. Our church was part of uh, delivering 55 cases of Bible toys to Christmas for children. This year, 3,000-plus kids turn in requests for toys. They don't always get what they ask for. Some of them want things that are bizarre. One of them wanted an oil change for an 18-wheeler. You know, maybe some daddies getting in the, in the middle of that request. But I saw this big room that was filled with over 2,500 toys. And it's like, wow, we're able to uh, deliver 200, well, I mean, 2,500 bags of toys. And we were part of delivering over 220 toys to, uh, to those kids. Some of them got Noah with all the accessories that go with Noah. There was Abraham. There was David. There was... There was other Bible characters that we were a part of giving. Uh, this church does over and above uh, what you guys give towards special things. Like last this year, you gave over $20,500 towards missions. And yet we were able, over and above, the t- over and above what came in for missions, we were able to give over 60000 to international missions, 17000 to national missions, uh, over 3800 to local missions, and over 5400 to special outreaches. Um, you guys gave almost $2,500 to benevolence to help the poor. And our church was able to give over $32,400 to help the poor. We could do so much more if more people would commit to tithing. I'm going to hush because I'm over time. In two minutes, I'm going to let you go.
I heard the other day that in America, 20% of America's evangelical Christians tithe. In any church, the norm is only 20% tithe. I'm not going to check on the percentage here. I'm sure we would beat that. But what could we do if more people would tithe? We could do so much more. So much more. Now, my salary personally is determined by a, an, an independent board. They're not the elders of the church. They're not my kin folks. There are members here who pay tithes. Obviously, they believe in tithing. Otherwise, we wouldn't recruit them to do this. There's always a little different mix each year of guys that get together and look at the church's income, the church's business, and we submit to what they recommend or up to what they recommend. We can shave off if we determine that we need to, but... It's a safe place to give your money. There's not going to be abuse going on in here because there's, there's so much accountability going on. If you want a financial statement, ask us. We'll print it off for you from the computer. We don't always understand it, but it's there. The computer doesn't lie. What's entered in there is there. Uh, we print in the bulletin every week what came in last week. So we want to be an accountable storehouse in this community. We want to be part of this community. But what could we do if we all would trust the Lord with the first fruits of our increase and give Him the first 10% of our income? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I've delivered the burden of my heart today, and I just ask you to speak to your people in Jesus' name. Lord, if this word is from you, I ask you to not let them rest until they come to a place of decision with you. In Jesus' name, God, we ask for your blessing, unprecedented blessing. Lord, we ask for a hundredfold return for everyone, even though, Lord, we know it's promised to those that give it all. And now, Lord, I pray beyond just tithing. I pray for those who are being called to do something beyond the norm something that is terrifying, but they know that you're calling them to do it, whatever that would be, Lord, whether it's going into the mission field or laying down their life for their neighbor. God, we just ask you to use us to be a powerful church. Use our families to be powerful families. Use our businesses to be powerful businesses. Use our influence to be powerful influence, Lord, because we are called to be salt and light in the earth to make a difference for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before Shake leads us in a song, I want to show you a video, and we'll let you go.
we stand. Thank you so much for pressing in with me on the subject of trust for these six Sundays. I pray that it bears fruit in your life. Trusting really is the key to fruitful living. It's a key to joy. It's a key to happiness. And it's a key to doing the will of God on the earth because God's entrusted his work to us. Jesus said, it's better for you that I go away. If I go not away, the Comforter cannot come. He sent the Holy Spirit to come and anoint us so that we become like Jesus. So now Jesus isn't just represented in his own human form, but now there's millions of us in the earth. Amen. God bless you. May you be used mightily of him everywhere you go. I pray that the Lord blesses you and keeps you that the Lord causes His face to shine upon you and is gracious to you. I pray that the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and gives you His peace as you trust Him in every area of your life. May He use you mightily to be a blessing to this world. May He continue to shovel to you, press down, shaken together, blessings beyond your expectations and dreams. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you so much. To Jesus, I surrender all to Him. I will. Surrender all.